Our reading today is from page 977 of the Church Bible, Luke 6, 43-45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Wonderful, thank you. For the mouth speaks out of what the heart is full of. So in the example, Jesus uses fig trees and uh, briar bushes, thorn bushes. And what he's trying to communicate is that at the heart of the tree, at the very core of the tree, in its very DNA, it bears fruit from that place and comes out. And he likens it to a man who basically, the, the good things that are dwelling up in his heart rise up and come out of him. When, as I've been studying this, um, there is quite a lot of references to Jesus' um, talk about being the vine in John 15, and how he's the grapevine that brings out the fruit. And so we are people who have the single fruit that basically is exactly that, the stuff that rises up. But if we are grafted into the one vine who basically is that fruit giver. And the fruit that we give is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness in self-control. So we are called to be bearers of fruit, people that grow fruit, and then that fruit is distributed to all. And what we find is, is that we sometimes find ourselves not bearing that fruit, or we find ourselves just being barren because we're missing that opportunity to bear fruit because our heart is not full of the right stuff. So this morning, what we're going to be looking at is how we can learn about what it is about our hearts overflowing with, with, with whatever it is in, that's growing inside of our heart. But also, I'm going to give you a tool to say, okay, how do you check balance? How do you work through what is growing up in your heart and actually process that with God? So that's the two things we're going to be doing today. So overflow of your heart is there is always things flowing up. Now, when I became a Christian, in my early days of Christianity, I found it quite difficult to forgive people, if I'm honest. The only way I was able to forgive people was when I was able to say, look, Henry, you really upset me there. I need to tell you about this. This is what happened, and this is what I need to tell you about. And get it off my chest, effectively. And when Henry turns around to me and says, Adrian, you're right, I'm so sorry. Then I was able to go, okay, I forgive you, and move on. But in my early days, I found it really hard if for some reason I couldn't share with a person and say, this is what's annoyed me, this is what's frustrated me, get it off my chest. And I had to learn, and I'm still learning it if I'm honest, there's times when I still struggle with it, I had to learn how to actually allow myself just to forgive without that vent of frustration or of anger or whatever. But what I found myself doing was just that there was this rising up in me in my early days, this rising up of... And then it would just go somehow or other. And I find myself going, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Oops. 
and then going back to the drawing board and learning. So I found myself learning to have to deal with that root of frustration, anger, whatever it was, and actually allow that to be disseminated, to just, just filter out and for God to heal that place. And sometimes that was really hard for me. But I learned through the hard way that actually it's the best way to do it is just to allow God to heal that. And we're going to look at that in more detail in a bit. You see, we will rise up with good things or bad things. Now, Jesus said that only God is good. So everything that comes out of us that is good is from God, right? Right? And everything that rises up from us that is evil or bad is not from God. So we basically have these two things rising up. So if we are grafted into the vine, if we're in God's presence, if we're hanging out with Jesus and saying, okay, I want to live my life your way and, and beholden to whatever he wants to do, then good fruit rises up. But if we're not connected with Jesus at that point, any point, and sometimes we're in and out like we all are, you know, when we're not connected to Jesus, then the bad fruit starts rising up again. So it's an encouragement for us to actually constantly be going, Jesus, I need you to be using me, to be working through me, to be bearing fruit through me. Because outside of God, we can do nothing good. Outside of God, we are absolutely beholden to whatever's the the, stuff that's inside of us. So we have to guard our hearts, as Scripture says, for it's the wellspring of life. Now, guarding your heart It's not about putting a brick wall around your heart and not letting anyone near it. Guarding your heart is not about having a gun outside and saying, you want to mess with me? It's not about either of those. You see, guarding your heart, as Jesus said, everything that is bad comes out of you, not what comes into you. So it's the internal stuff that hurts you and defiles you and makes you wrong not the stuff that comes into you. To garden your heart is guiding your heart about what is coming out. It's watching what's coming out. And we'll be learning a bit more about how to protect your heart and to be watching your heart, to learning what um, things are expelling from our hearts. This week I had um, an amazing opportunity because I actually had a lecturer who spoke at a curate's conference I was on. And she was talking about managing your emotions. And it just so happened that she gave me the key for this this talk today. And it was just, I found it really, really helpful. Because she was talking about, um, her name is Dr. Cara Lawman, and she was talking about bringing biblical and psychological keys together. She was a psychologist and a GP, but a Christian as well, and teaching about biblical and psychological um, methods and learnings that bring in line both the biblical side and the the psychological side together. And she said that they used to only think, only about 15 years ago, used to think that your brain was hardwired by the age of six. And this is what psychologists said only up to about 15 years ago. Once you got to the age of six, you could not change your brain. It was done. You were exact, that's how you're going to be, and that's how you were going to be forevermore. And she said, but recent research has proven that that's not the case anymore. Your brain can be rewired. And she said, huh, who'd know that Romans 12 was right? 
you can have your mind renewed. And she said that now scientific research is proving that that is true. You can be rewired in your brain to re, uh, the new uh, neuron paths actually can be created so that you can act in a more godly way. So you're not stuck in the way you were when you were six years old and older. So we'll be looking at this and actually understanding some of the processes, the ways to guard your heart so that you can be watching your heart and learning how to change things and, and be watching the way you're processing things to learn how to manage that heart so that the overflow that you're letting rise up is all good stuff. That is stuff that God wants you to be exuding, the fruit that God wants to be putting out into this world. And there are four main things that we need to bear in mind. Because there's a four-part chain process, if you like, into you moving into good behavior. And it's this. So you've got your beliefs, and we'll go into all of these in separate in detail. Then you've got your self-talk or your conscience. Then you've got your emotions. And then you've got your behavior. Now, so often we find ourselves, when we're lacking self-control, you find yourself almost feeling it goes like this straight from beliefs to behavior. And that's when you turn around to yourself and you say, why the heck did I just do that? I don't understand that. Because you're not thinking, you're processing what's going on. It's just like you just go from dum to dum and you just do whatever comes out on your head. And what we're learning about, in, from when you look at Scripture, it tells you to be self-controlled. And that's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit, to learn to be self-controlled so that your beliefs are in line with your self-talk, that are in line with your emotions, that are in line with your behavior. And we think that it just happens just like that. Boom, beliefs to behavior straight away. But actually, in truth, it's more like this. There is a fast transition that is so fast that our prefrontal cortex can't process it. So we actually need to change the way we do our life. We need to uh, be reflecting and learning how God would want us to change things. So when we do something wrong, or if preferably before we do something wrong, we see that God is you know, trying to teach us something about the way we are, where we're at, what we need to do to change. So that's the life of a, lack, a person lacking self-control. Well, the person gaining control looks more like this. You see, your, your beliefs make you trigger a self-talk in your head or your conscience speaking. And they make you, you, you know, you'll start to go, oh, why, why won't that person talk to me? Oh, they obviously don't like me, for example. Now, that may be true, but it's probably not. And you instantly start going, oh, well, they don't like me because nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go and eat some worms. And it's... You know, that's how you just live your life. And then your emotions start going, rising up because they are connected to your self-talk. So when you're saying, oh, they're all, they're all rejecting me, your, your reaction starts, your emotions start to rise up. Either there's hurt or there's anger or whatever rises up. And you then have this behavior where you just go, well, I'm not going to talk to them either. And then you reject them because they might reject you first. But guarding your heart gives you that opportunity to watch your self-talk, your conscience, and to watch the emotions 
Because as you watch those two things, you can see what would trigger a bad behavior, and you can actually learn what God wants to teach you. Now, many years ago, I had um, an opportunity where God showed me for a season what was going on in people's hearts. And as I was going around life, I was just looking, asking, Lord, show me what's going on in people's hearts. And I saw so much pain. So much pain. And it really just made me get to a point where I was just like, that pain was just so dramatic that I just said, God, I can't handle this. Help me to, you know, just not have this because it's hurt me so much. And then it just stopped for, um, and it hasn't really happened since. And I have repented of it, but it still hasn't actually come back. But it's like I got to a point where I was seeing all that emotions and the, potentially the self-talk behind what people were acting about. And what we need to do is become more like this, where we're, we're seeing the self-talk and the emotions and we're feeding back into a loop that goes back to our beliefs because it's all triggered by our beliefs. And I'll be going into more detail about beliefs in a moment. But the beliefs are the thing that make you trigger this chain reaction that makes you overflow in one way or another. You see that you've got core beliefs and rational beliefs. The core beliefs are the beliefs that you are the, the ingrained beliefs that make you go, yes, I believe this is what it is. And then you just you act out of those. The rational beliefs are the things like you read in Scripture where you go, oh, yeah, that's amazing. That, I, I believe that. But it's not necessarily hard-coded into your core beliefs. So you don't act out of those. You act out of the core beliefs, which are maybe different to your rational beliefs. Let me put this to the test. Who of you believes, Philippians 1, where it says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Put your hands up if you believe that's true. Okay, keep your hands up. Now, if I was to go up to Henry and put a gun to his head, or any one of you, how many of you would be excited about the next point of what's about to happen? Oh, Henry would. Anyone got a gun? <laughs> but it's like, you know, actually, truthfully, most of us would be like, oh, hang on. Oh, do I really believe that? Because that, for most of us, is a rational belief. It's not your core belief. It's not your belief that says, yeah, to die is gain. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. Whatever you do next, that's fine with me. And when you look at John Wesley, for example, when he um, realized that he he was fearful of dying, he realized that he was disconnected. His beliefs were rational beliefs, not core beliefs. And suddenly had to bring himself to a place where he said, okay, I really don't care what happens because I trust God with the rest of my life. I really don't care what happens here because my core belief is now that to die is to gain. And I believe that's how we all need to be getting to is where the Bible is the place where we look at and we go, yeah, I really believe that. No, it's just not a rational belief. It's a core belief. And we'll be going through some of those things to look at how we can do that in a bit. See, reading the Bible is the way that we can actually do a litmus test against where we're sitting in life. You know, as, and this is why it's so important for us to constantly be reading Scripture. Because I don't know about you, how many of you be reading the Bible in the morning and you suddenly go, oh man, I'm so, that's no, so where I'm not at. 
you know, I so need to get work on this. I need to work on this part of my life. Any of us? Oh, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I do it all the time. When I'm reading scripture, going, oh. And God brings to mind something that happened last week or yesterday or something, and you go, that wasn't in line there, Adrian, was it? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I need to learn a bit more about that. But even more, a lot of the, the um, ancient mystics, for example, used to say that repentance, meditation, and prayer on that word is the thing that hard codes it into your core belief. As you meditate on the word of God, it brings the, the reality of it to life. It makes it a reality for you. And it changes you. It transforms you to make you that solid core belief that will hold you in good stead. So that when a chain reaction happens, it's a good chain reaction, not a bad chain reaction. You see, in Joshua uh, 1, it says, keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. You see, it's only when we meditate and pray on the stuff that we need to learn and, and, and on Scripture overall that we actually see that God's saying, I'm transforming you in this point. I'm changing you in the way you are in this point. I'm making you more like my son, Jesus, through this point. And as we meditate, God actually reveals how we can do things and does this transformational work that changes us from one person to another. And then we've got the self-talk. We need to be regularly listening to our self-talk. As I said, sometimes at the beginning, we won't hear it. So you'll, you'll find the emotions trigger, and you're, that's the point where you go, okay, what is that self-talk that's triggered that emotion? What is that self-talk that's caused your emotions to react like it has? And then you go back to the core belief that is talk, giving that self-talk and making that self-talk happen. So we need to be listening to our, our inner voice or our conscience. And if erroneous, we need to be saying to God, what is the belief source behind that? And where does the rational and the core not work in line with each other? And then we need to pray for God to replace that erroneous belief. As I say, meditating on his scriptures. You see, it's good also to be talking to ourselves as well. I mean, if you look at David, for example, David talked to himself. In Psalm 43, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You see, correcting your self-talk with talk that is godly talk, that is actually replacing the self-talk, changes things as well. So like David, we need to be saying, what is going on with you? What are you doing here? What are you reacting out of? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in his word. Put your hope in him personally. Because as you do that, you will start to transform your, your way of thinking. And Psalm 77 says this, But then I recall all that you have done, O Lord, and I remember your wonderful deeds. You see, another thing we can do is to be just recalling the trustworthiness of God. All those times we've trusted him, and we've seen God do amazing things through our trust. 
And as we trust him, we can just say, okay, God, I've seen you do that time and time again. And it becomes easier then to allow yourself to be transformed in your basic belief, your core belief. Because you say, okay, he was trustworthy then, he was trustworthy then, he was trustworthy then, he'll be trustworthy now. And then we are hardcore, our core uh, belief is hard-coded and rechanged again into a Christ-like thought process. And Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. So we're coming on to the emotions now. And emotions are so often people in the Christian world, I don't know about you, but have you heard teaching that, or you've got the impression from teaching that we are supposed to push down our emotions? Our emotions are not something to be gratified. They're just like, they're wrong. You know, they're just like, oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, actually, emotions aren't wrong. Emotions aren't wrong as of themselves. It's the motivation, it's the, the reaction that is the wrong side of emotions. So in your anger, do not sin. So it's not saying, do not be angry. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So we see there that the Bible's telling us, you can be angry. It's okay to be angry. But it's actually knowing what's causing your anger, whether it's a good thing that's causing your anger, or it's a bad thing that's causing your anger. And as you assess and you, you reflect on that and you meditate on what's causing that anger to rise up, you can then work out, yeah, okay, that's a good type of anger or that's a bad type of anger. And then you can process it accordingly. You know, we've got to bear in mind that Jesus himself got angry. Mark 3 says, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry in the temple when he started throwing all the things around in the temple. There were points where Jesus got angry. His emotions did rise up. The difference was that he wasn't controlled by his emotions. But his emotions were very true and real. But they were emotions that were for good fruit and not for bad fruit. 2 Timothy says, for the Spirit of God gave us, uh, gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. You see, as we, self-discipline, big one, and as we walk in this gifts of the fruits of the Spirit, we will grow in self-discipline. And we will be able to just manage our processes so that we become more, increasingly more and more godly. And Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, prayer and petition, give thanks, present your request to God. See, anxiety again, it says, do not be anxious. So in that instance, there is a place of, you're not allowed to have that emotion. You've got to drive that emotion. You shouldn't be anxious. Because as we trust God, there's no room for anxiety, is there? Is there? There's no room for anxiety. If we're trusting God, it's, it's an it's a emotion that actually hasn't got any foundations. But if we have anxiety rising up, then it get, it's a sure sign that something's not right with us. And then we come to behavior. And behavior is... Um, it's, it's the end result. It's the thing that will just flow out 
of whatever's been rising up in our heart. And Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, as we are allowing ourselves to be transformed, we will find ourselves becoming more and more like Christ. And as I reflect on the, the actual cycle itself, as we guard our hearts, as we watch our self-talk, our, our conscience, You, you know, often people think the conscience is the, is the word of God. And I actually thought of this, you know, is God speaking to you? And it can be. But your conscience is corrupted as well. Because the Bible tells us that your, your conscience is corrupted. Timoth- uh, Titus says that, for example. That your conscience is corrupted. So there are things that is right about your conscience and things that are wrong about your conscience. And as we are allowing God to purify our conscience, then we will find ourselves being more in line with Jesus. And the overflow that we will find our hearts overflowing with is the good fruit. It's the good fruit that God wants us to exhibit. The fruits of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who transforms our hearts and minds, renews our minds as we work with you and, and we um, pray and we meditate. Father, would you just teach us to, to um, guard our hearts because they are the wellspring of life. Help us to become more like you. Help us to overflow with your friends, with your fruits. Amen.